this prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray one of this, this line, uh, that his kingdom would come and that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so that is, forms the foundation for this series. And uh, the, the truth is, is that this, this idea of the kingdom of God, this idea of the, the kingdom of heaven, is absolutely central, not only to the ministry of Jesus, but also to the entire New Testament. Uh, and, and sort of foundational to that, and, and what we need to, to understand before that is that Everything in your life is not precisely as God intends. Uh, we, we learned that in our previous series called Chaos, but it, but it moves us right into this series, that, that everything in your life is, is not always exactly as God intends. In other words, uh, it was not His will that your parents got divorced, or that your husband cheated on you, and, or that your son and daughter have behavioral problems. Sometimes, the, sometimes when, when God brings beauty out of these difficulties, we make the mistake of saying that these things were in fact God's will for us, but... But the reality of the gospel and the reason that Jesus died is because things aren't the way that he desires them to be and that he's on a mission to put them back to right. And so it was not God's will that a young man would walk into a theater and start shooting or that your uncle or your dad or your friend abused you when you were little. What it is God's will is to redeem those things and to redeem the brokenness in the world. And this redemption... When, when, when God takes something that is so chaotic, when God takes something that is a mess and he brings beauty out of it, that is the kingdom of God breaking in. And that's what we've been exploring and talking about through this whole series, is that, that the kingdom of God is the realm of reality where the way of God reigns. The kingdom of God is the realm of reality where the way of God reigns reigns, that God stands above creation as its creator, and then now as he he is busy bringing his rule to bear on the creation that has gone all amok and has gone all awry, that that, that we, given our own direction, we turn away from God and we we reject God and all of these things. And so God is, is standing over creation, seeking to bring his rule to bear, and it is a beautiful kingdom indeed. God's kingdom is, is not one where he leads and is king by coercion or, or um, abusing power, but rather God's kingdom is beautiful where the markers of his kingdom are forgiveness and healing from hurt and disappointment and all of these other kinds of beautiful ways of redemption. And so the hope of the gospel is this, that the way of Jesus is breaking in to our world It is available to us through faith in Christ, and God intends to put everything back to right. And he has shown this by taking on our sin and dying on the cross for us, and then he has proven this when he defeated death through the resurrection. And so, um, the reality, though, is that despite all of this beauty and despite what we've learned over the last couple of weeks in this series, uh, we have to face the reality that there are sometimes when we don't experience his kingdom. There are people that that hold on to hurt and disappointment for years rather than finding healing from it. There are some who never overcome addictions. There are some who hold on to bitterness and revenge. And the reason is this. There is a civil war going on in your heart. Many of you have been trying to be the king of your own kingdom, and it isn't working. 
And my whole goal this morning is to draw us in and to invite us to surrender our own kingship and surrender to the kingship of Christ. So that's where we're headed this morning, and I hope that you will lean in. I hope that you'll listen closely and uh, see what God wants to say to you and what he wants to do in your heart. Uh, So turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 3. Uh, Mark chapter 3, we're going to be reading verses 20 through 27. Uh, If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. Uh, It'll also be up on the screen for you to follow along. Uh, But here it is, Mark chapter 3, starting with verse 20, uh, working our way through verse 27. It says this, uh, And then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, uh, so that his disciples were not even able to eat. And when his family heard about this, they went... uh, They went to take charge of him, for they said, He, speaking of Jesus, he is out of his mind. And then the teachers of the law came down from Jerusalem and said, He is possessed by Beazable, and uh, he is the prince of the demons, and he is driving out, it is by the prince of the demons that he is driving the demons out. And so Jesus called them over to him, and he began to speak to them in parables, and he said this, How can Satan drive out Satan? For if a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and he is divided, he cannot stand and his end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up, and then he can plunder the strong man's house. Well, let's explore this passage together and let's pray that God would uh, give us ears to hear his message this morning. Father, we are thankful for your word, and uh, I pray, God, that you would uh, anoint me as I seek to speak your word and your truth this morning. Uh, I also pray, God, that you would open our hearts, uh, that we might, and that you would open our ears, that we might be able to hear and to understand and apply your word to our lives. So, God, speak to us today. Change us from the inside out, God. We love you, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the scribes, you have to understand who the scribes were. The scribes were uh, scholars of the day. They, were the, uh, they knew the, the, the scriptures inside and out. Many of them uh, were interpreters and editors of the scripture. And then the scribe is ultimately one of their jobs or one of their responsibilities was to copy the word of God down so that there were multiple copies of the scriptures circulating around. Now, uh, this, this, of course, is before any modern uh, inventions or printing presses or anything like that. And so the scribes became not only experts uh, in, in those scriptures, but then they became editors of the scriptures and interpreters, uh, understanding the oral tradition of the scripture, then understanding uh, the written tradition of, of, of becoming the editor, and then uh, again copying those scriptures down uh, for the distribution of those things to church leaders. And, and so when we talk about the scribes, we're talking about experts in the scripture. And, and what the scribes have done here is they have seen a miracle of Jesus where he has cast out a demon, and yet they have labeled Jesus as being someone who is uh, sort of in the same camp as the chief of the demonic powers. And, and so they have mislabeled Jesus, to say it lightly. Uh, Again, so this is who scribes were. And what happened was is that Jesus didn't really fit into their framework of expectation for a Messiah or for a king. 
He was supposed to come in and defeat all of the, all of the, uh, the enemies of Israel and the people of God using bigger guns and land rovers and better technology and all of these sorts of things. You know, Jesus was supposed to come in as a Messiah and just wipe all the enemies out. But instead what he does is he begins walking with the enemies and, and those who were called sinners and, and befriending them and spending time with them and, and doing miracles. And, and, and Jesus really wasn't the kind of Messiah that these experts in the Scripture were expecting. And so instead of, of coming with, with blazing guns and, and riding a Land Rover, he comes humbly, performs miracles, and befriends sinners. And this wasn't at all what the scribes expected, so they labeled Jesus and his work, and they said, he must be casting out demons by the power of the chief demon himself. And they mislabeled Jesus. You know, labeling Jesus is not something that is just what happened in the first century. It's something you and I do today, isn't it? In fact, the reality is is that some of you today have, have labeled Jesus incorrectly. Some of you, there's a possibility you have, you have labeled Jesus as being irrelevant and you've said that his teachings are so old and so archaic that then you, you've, you've thought, how could they possibly be relevant to my life? Some of you have, have labeled Jesus as, as being merely a good guy. Yeah, his, his teachings are relevant, they're helpful, it's, it's certainly good advice, but, but that whole bit about, about dying for my sin and, and, and resurrection and all of that, I, I don't really buy that. And so, so some of you have labeled Jesus, he, he was a great guy, uh, his teachings are, are, are valuable, but man, when we talk about Jesus being the Son of God, and when we talk about Jesus as, as taking on our sin and dying for that sin and defeating death through the resurrection, it's it's that whole bit that you're not so sure about. And you've labeled Jesus as a good teacher or a good guy. Some of you have labeled Jesus as being mean. How could he allow the suffering that you have been through? I mean, if God is good and Jesus is God, then why would he allow this? And some of you are there this morning. And when you think of Jesus, you don't think, as, you don't think of him as a loving son of God. You just think of him as kind of a mean manipulative guy and you've labeled him some of you maybe have labeled Jesus as someone for the weekend uh, someone to kind of check in with weekly visits to church and uh, you, you feel like church is something that you should do and so you're here uh, but you just try to keep Jesus to the confines of your Sunday morning but as soon as you leave this place uh, then you're going to uh, not think about Jesus, not, not give him any praise or worship or, or prayer or anything like that until you get back here next week. And you just want to do your due diligence, do what you're supposed to do. Maybe you're trying to impress your parents or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or you're just trying to do the right thing. Uh, there's not a lot of social pressure because we're not in the Bible belt. Uh, but you may just be here out of obligation and you think we're just, this is just what we're supposed to do. And you've labeled Jesus as somebody for the weekend. What I love about this passage, though, is that while the scribes have mislabeled Jesus and called him, uh, called, of, called him and accused him of being sort of in cahoots or, or in the, on the same team as, as the chief demonic power, it was in that very moment while they were labeling him that his kingdom was breaking in. 
It was in the same moment where these experts of the law were saying he's casting out demons by the power of the chief demon that, in fact, his kingdom was breaking in. You see, they they accused him as being a, a worker in the kingdom of demonic power, but instead of that, his own kingdom was breaking in as he was casting that demon out, not by the power of the chief demon, but by his own power, setting that person free. And that person then experiencing the kingdom of God. And so Jesus looks at these scribes and his logic is simple. How can Satan cast out Satan? If that were the case, then the the kingdom of demonic power, Satan's kingdom, would be divided. And it would fall. For how can one work against his own kingdom? And so, Jesus' logic is, is actually quite simple. A kingdom divided and working against itself simply cannot stand. One of the things that I want to say to you, and I believe God wants to, to work in your heart, is that Jesus doesn't care about your labels. Jesus doesn't care about your labels and how you've labeled him. Because the way that you've labeled him does not change who he is. And he is king. You see, in the very same moment as he was being mislabeled by the scribes, his own very own kingdom was breaking in and breaking through. And the same is true in your life. It doesn't matter how you've labeled Jesus, it doesn't matter if you've, if you've labeled him as mean or irrelevant or old school or out of touch or just somebody for the weekend. However you've labeled Jesus, it doesn't change who Jesus is. Jesus is the, the creator, the king, the one who has died, the one who has been resurrected. And so what I would I want to encourage you with today is that in the very same moment, as some of you are mislabeling Jesus, as you are, are labeling him as being irrelevant to your life, it is his way of forgiveness that is so timely in your life because of the forgiveness that you have received from someone this week or the forgiveness that you need to offer to someone this week. You see, while you, you might be going through something today that requires that you be forgiven, you may be going something that, through something that requires that you forgive someone else, and in the moment that you are, are working through this and seeing the value of forgiveness, you're labeling Jesus and all of his teachings and his forgiveness of you as irrelevant. Jesus doesn't care how you've labeled him. His kingdom continues to break in. Does that make sense? The same is true in our lives. What is true for the scribes in this passage? You might call, you might, uh, you might call Jesus and label him mean, but he is working to provide healing in your life. You may be asking the question of why in the world would he cause this or why would he allow this? And all the while he is saying that while the most, while the most pertinent question is also the most irrelevant in your life. You can label me mean, but in fact, I'm still going to work to heal. 
and the healing that you have experienced is in this brokenness that you've been going through is God's way of breaking into your life. It's the kingdom of God breaking into your world. You might, you might say that Jesus is disconnected. You might label Jesus as being disconnected. And you walk away from him once you leave the church building. But let me tell you that Monday through Saturday, Jesus is chasing you. And he's loving you. And he's desiring relationship with you. You see, how we label him doesn't matter. And it doesn't change who he is. You might say that you might label Jesus as merely being a good guy and that his teachings are helpful. But he went far more and went far beyond just teaching us how to live a good moral life. He took on our sin, died for us, that we might experience life. And Jesus in this passage says that a strong man, in order to be defeated, must first be tied up. And he says this right after tying up the strong man. The strong man, Satan. If Satan is to be defeated, if the strong man is, been, is, is to be defeated, you must first tie him up so that you can go into his house and plunder all that he has. And so Jesus is saying, in essence, what I have already, if, a strong man, if you want to defeat a strong man, you have to tie him up. And by releasing this person from the, from the grip and, and the, of, of demonic possession, I have already set them free. I have already tied up the strong man. And so now my kingdom is breaking in. He essentially is saying this, I have overcome the evil one, and my kingdom is indeed coming. And so there's this beauty to the kingdom. And yet, many of you are are busy trying to be your own king. Many of you are busy trying to be your own king. You might say, well, what does that look like? What does it mean for me to be my own king? And what does my kingdom look like? Because given to our own selfish way, we will deny Christ's kingdom and all of its beauty, and we will recognize our own and try to to seek to be our own kind of king. Well, here's what your kingdom looks like. Your kingdom looks like trying to get enough of, of, of stuff because the more stuff that a king has, the more secure is his throne. That's what we like to believe, right? And, and so we go about into our busy lives and in our work lives and we just try to get all, this, all sorts of stuff that if we could surround our, our, ourselves with enough stuff, then, then all of a sudden we feel that we've, we've built a, a, a fortress of security and safety around us with the stuff that we have. And if we don't have stuff, then we're obsessed with getting more stuff. If, if we have lots of stuff, then, then we feel like it's not enough stuff. And, and so we are, the way that you building your kingdom and me being, building my kingdom is if I can just get enough stuff around me, then all of a sudden my king and my, and my kingship and my throne will be secure. My kingdom looks like trying to get as much influence as, as much power as I can. So I'm always trying to climb the corporate ladder. I'm always trying to gain more influence. I'm always trying so that I could promote my myself so that I could get up there and say, look at me and look how strong I am and and aren't I great and and all of these kinds of things. I want my business to do well. I want all of these things and those are all good things. But without a recognition that Jesus is king, then ultimately what we're doing is building our own kingdom all around ourselves. 
And so when, when, it, when I say that you are trying to be your own king, that's a part of what I'm talking about. But at the same time, what does life in God's kingdom look like? Contrast these ideas and these pictures. Life in God's kingdom is a recognition that everything that I have, the wealth, the job, the promotion, everything that I have has been entrusted to me by the king to manage well for his kingdom. See, if I'm just trying to build my own kingdom, I'm just trying to gain all these things where I'm the center of all of those things and I'm trying to build them around myself. Life in God's kingdom is recognizing that all of those things are sourced by the one true king have been entrusted to me for his kingdom. And so, so it looks like this, that if I, I take my wealth and, and, and do, how, how can I take my wealth and how can I honor my king with it? Versus I've earned my, this wealth, it's mine, how can I honor me with it? So the, so the wealth that you've been given has is, is been entrusted to you to honor the king. How do I take my position at, at my job or, or in my family or in, or in my school? And, and how do I take my position and influence in order to point people to the king? How do I conduct my business in a way that honors him? It's all these kinds of things that are always pointing to the king. That if I'm living life truly in God's kingdom and I'm, I'm, I'm denying myself as king, then I'm always trying to just be a conduit of praise to the king. Does that make sense? I'm always just trying to be a conduit to point to the king, the one true king, in recognition that it's not myself. But some of you are rejecting that idea. You don't want to point to the king. You only want to point to yourself. And so on the one hand, we see the beauty of God's kingdom, and we desire it. And then on the other hand, we like being in charge and doing things our own way. And so we desire our own kingdom. And how this usually plays out is that we, are, we have made ourselves the king of our own kingdom, but when things don't go well, we blame God or someone else. Isn't that interesting? That we become the king of our own kingdom, but then when something goes wrong, we blame God or we blame someone else when we've given them no allegiance to rule over our life. And so our natural, the natural tendency and the natural state of our heart is that we're divided and there's a civil war in our soul. Part of us desiring God's kingdom, part of us desiring our own kingdom. And the truth that I want to just nail down in this short message this morning is that this cannot be. That the truth of Jesus' words stand ever true that a kingdom divided against itself will fall, and that a house divided cannot stand. The only way to replace ourselves as king is to surrender. The, the, if, if, we are, if we are seeking to rule our own life, if we're seeking to be the kings of our own kingdom, there's only one person who can unseat you as king, and that is yourself. Surrendering to another king. 
the true king. And so we've talked a lot in this series about kingdom and God's kingdom and what that looks like. But, um, and we've got one more week left in this series. But in this third week, what I want to encourage all of us, all of us to do is, is recognize the ways in which we seek to be a king in our own kingdom. And then unseat ourselves as that king in surrender to the true king. And the beauty of all of this is that Jesus, the true king, is inviting you this morning to join his kingdom. He's inviting you to experience the beauty of redemption first in your own life and then in the world. And it's not a promise to a perfect life. There is still an enemy of your life trying to do all that he can uh, to keep you from experiencing the beauty of God's kingdom. He's trying to get you addicted. He's trying to get your marriage in trouble. He's trying to make church inconvenient for your kid's schedule. He's trying to distract you and get you busy with, uh, with work or a hobby. He's trying to do all that he can from experiencing life in the kingdom of God. And, and the enemy is trying, the, the, the chief demonic power of the enemy is trying to get you to continue to be king of your own kingdom. And yet, all the while, the true king is saying, I have all the resource in the world. that I'm in, I have all the, the beauty of the, in the world and the redemption in the world. And I'm inviting you in to experience life in my kingdom. I'm inviting you to experience my rule. Not one that is overbearing. Not one that is forced upon you. But one that you can enter into freely. And, and, and so Jesus as the true king is literally standing with his arms open wide, inviting you in if you will just come in. If you will just unseat yourself as your own king, seeking to build your own kingdom. Jesus is saying there is a beautiful kingdom, a beautiful way of life that is made available to you through my death and resurrection. If you will just receive it by faith. And so this morning, I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you've never made a decision for Christ before. I don't know if you've been a Christian for a long time, and yet you find yourself as a Sunday Christian, and you've labeled Jesus as only being helpful on the weekends, where you come in, you're inspired by the music, you're encouraged by the message, but then you go on the rest of your day, and and God is speaking to you this morning and saying that despite your faith in me, you have decided to, to, to place yourself as the king of your own kingdom, and it is time to fully surrender to my my kingship in your life. I don't know what that looks like for you this morning, but the invitation is the same. Jesus is inviting us to experience life in his kingdom. And again, it's not a promise to a perfect life. There's an enemy, but the good news is is that he is a defeated enemy through the resurrection. And that when hard times do come, and they will come, I don't know how Jesus has been taught to you before. I don't know if Jesus has been sold to you like a product that you can just sort of wipe over your life to make all your problems go away. But but life in the kingdom of God is, is difficult, and there are difficulties that come. We live in the same broken world when you experience the kingdom of God in your life. 
But the difference is this. You have a king in charge of your life who is sufficient to meet your need, who is sufficient to provide help, whose grace is real, who can provide healing for your heart, who can provide forgiveness and encouragement. It's all the things that you cannot provide yourself when you are the king of your own kingdom. That's why when people go through hard times and they're trying to be their own king, they just they, they put their hands in the air and they say, I give up. I have no hope. I'm, this, this situation is hopeless. It's because they are living as the king of their own life and they are, are butting up against the limit of their, of their own resource. And they are coming into contact with their limitations. But if in, life, in the life of the kingdom of God, with Jesus as our king, when hard times come and when difficult, difficult times come, we have a king who is sufficient to meet your need. And that's the good news. That we have a king who loves us, who cares for us, who provides us healing. And the good news, church, is he provides a community for us to experience life, to walk together, to encourage one another. And so, I don't, again, I don't know where you're at today. Whether you're being invited into God's kingdom for the very first time. Or whether it's today is the day that you need to fully surrender your heart to him. To say, I've been the king of my own kingdom. And God, I want to recognize you not only as my savior. You died on the cross for me. My eternal life is secure in you. But now I want to honor you as my king. As the ruler of my life. As one who I will follow day by day by day. Not just a savior that I give props to when things go well. And not just a savior that I approach as a stranger when when things have gone bad and we haven't talked in a while. But as a king who rules over my life. So my encouragement to you today is this. To give your allegiance to the king. And the reality is, again, this truth that as if we live in this, this um, civil war of our soul, where if we, if this civil war of our heart where we give part of our heart to Jesus and we give part of our heart to ourselves and build our own kingdom, then the words of Jesus ring so true that a kingdom divided cannot stand and a house divided will fall. There can be no middle way. The gospel is not a halfway proposition. It's not a, it's not a sometimes, it's not a on the weekends, it's not when I feel like it, it's not when I, uh, when I think, happen to be thinking about it, it's not, like, it's not when I'm with a certain crowd. But rather, Jesus gave his all and calls us to give our all to him. And in fact, Jesus says this in the Gospel of Matthew. He says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. How many times when we give our full allegiance, how many times does that, do those words of, of love and hate ring true? Sometimes we love our own kingship. 
Sometimes we hold on to our sin and we find ourselves despising the kingdom for what it calls us to do. And then in those moments when we give our full allegiance to the kingdom of God, we realize how utterly broken we were when we were the kings of our own kingdom. And so God calls us to a whole surrender. Surrender. 